Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Harris III, author of the best-selling book, The Wonder Switch. And if you want to learn how to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the distinct privilege of sitting down with Harris III. He's had almost 30 years of experience now as a creative entrepreneur. He began his career at a young age, traveling the world as an award-winning professional illusionist. He has performed for and spoken live to more than 2 million people in more than 30 countries and 5 continents. After traveling the globe and making a million dollars by the age of 21, only to go bankrupt a year later, Harris kickstarted a decade-long journey to understand the stories we tell ourselves and how they drive all human behavior. Armed with unique perspective, his career re-exploded as a world-renowned speaker, storyteller, and entrepreneur. He's now the creator of Transformation Theory and author of the book, The Wonder Switch. Harris developed a structured process that can dramatically change a team's culture or rapidly accelerate an individual's transformation from the story they feel stuck in to the life that they want to live. And through a diverse portfolio of projects, Harris is on a mission to help others find their way back to wonder, permitting them to change the untrue stories 
that they tell themselves and begin to believe in magic once again. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation that we're going to have with Harris. Um, and I'm excited to get into it. First, really quickly, if you're a podcaster or a, a content creator of sorts and you want to learn how to book guests like Harrison and, uh, and some of the other amazing guests we've been able to have here on the show, then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com. It's a new software that me and, and my team put together that helps connect you to people who are looking to be guests on shows. There's an entire free marketplace if you want to just get connected with some folks. And there's an entire paid marketplace if you just want to pay to bring on some high-level quality people to your show. So guestio.com, 100% free to get started. Head over there, start browsing through our selection of guests today. Harris, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, man. I'm excited to get into some conversations with you. Oh, man. Travis, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, sir. So let's go ahead and dive in and get to build some context here for those listening. I I find anytime I get to talk with somebody who's had an unconventional career path, I always find the story of getting into that career path to be super interesting. So let's take it way back, you know, (laughs) <laughs> Junior high, Harris, what were you up to? 12, 13 years old, you know, where'd you grow up? What was your family life like? All that good stuff. Yeah, I grew up in Southeast Tennessee, uh, near Chattanooga in a little small town called Evansville and kind of a lower part of the middle class. My parents had a minimum wage jobs. My mom was a housekeeper at a college. My dad was a factory worker. Uh, his job was to cut out foam that went inside of furniture. Uh, and so kind of being in that lifestyle meant I wasn't really one of the cool kids, didn't have cool clothes. They all came from yard sales and hand-me-downs. Wasn't really good at anything. I wasn't good at sports, didn't have access to like professional training of any kind of team sport or anything like that. So just kind of found my way uh, running around our old farmland uh, in this little small town. And when I was nine years old, I got a magic kit for Christmas for my grandmother. This is a little box of magic tricks. Mm-hmm. And at first was not interested, learned my first trick out of boredom, thinking it wasn't going to fool anybody. Performed that trick for my mom and dad. They were blown away. It was the first time at nine years old that I remember someone else looking at me with a look of awe and wonder in response to something that I had done. Because up until that point, I was just getting bullied and picked on at school. And so... You know, now that I've written a book and understand the neuroscience of wonder, I understand how contagious wonder is. But at the time, I all I knew is that my parents were amazed by me, but their yeah, wonder right. sort of reawakened mine and gave me permission to believe in a whole new story of possibility. So that experience kind of gave birth to this dream of traveling around the world doing magic shows. And even though that was at nine years old, to answer your question, Junior High Harris was already traveling from state to state doing magic shows, dropped out oh, of no public way. school. Went on the road full time, ended up getting, uh, you know, my, my parents jokingly called it a hotel school diploma instead of a homeschool diploma. <laughs> uh, but it was literally like living out of hotels, touring full time, performing magic all around the country. Wow, that's amazing. What, what were your parents like? I mean, how was that travel schedule work with them trying to make a living themselves? Yeah, interesting question. You know, I family vacations kind of stopped because my parents used all their vacation time and sick days uh, to take me to shows. And when I was young, we would all do that as a family. We would like travel to somewhere, do the event together as a family. That's awesome. And they didn't have enough days because they were using both of their vacation days at the same time. So then they doubled their time off by, you know, my dad would take me to some shows and my mom would take me to some shows. Uh, and then that didn't ended up not being enough, but I wasn't 16 yet. Couldn't drive myself to these events yet. And so my grandfather, true story, uh, retired early. I employed my grandfather as a teenager and he started driving me around to these different shows. Uh, <laughs> That's so awesome, man. Still kind of stayed a family deal, yeah. That's so awesome. So so obviously did not have the traditional experience of a high schooler 
any interest at all in the academics that you were doing in hotels or was that just totally yeah yeah it was like okay i'm so far past this already i don't need this yeah no no interest in anything that i would consider to be academic (laughs) (laughs) got it and then and then so obviously college was off the table at that point i'm assuming so um, i tried yeah, I actually tried. Uh, okay. So the small town that I grew up in, that college that my mom worked at as a housekeeper, she was in the housekeeping department. You know, if you worked there, I forgot how many years it was, you ended up getting free tuition for your children. Hmm. And so I was like, man, I, I knew by that point, I was at least old enough to understand my mom has put in the hours and the grind probably because in her mind and in my dad's mind, this was their only hope of being able to send their kids to college. Yeah. Now I kind of feel bad because, you know, I'm not really the pride and joy academically of my family at this point. And so I'm like, I feel like I should at least go to college. And so I tried, I went for like a year and a half, a year and a half into it. I remember my, uh, I can't remember what they're called. Is it an advisor? It's whatever like your guidance counselor is uh, that in college, they don't call it that. But someone that's a good question. I didn't have one of those either. So (laughs) (laughs) I remember he kind of pulled me aside. He's like, Hey, so you miss a lot of classes. I know you're out (laughs) traveling around, performing these shows and doing all these events and stuff. Like, be honest with me. You're a business major. That's what we're teaching here is business, but you already own your own business. You know, how much money did you make last year? And I remember being pretty honest and transparent and told him, and he was like, dude, get out of here. And I was like, like for real? He's like, yeah, I mean that literally. Like, don't wow. tell anybody that I'm the one that told you this. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, you know, this business administration degree is just going to teach you how to work for another business. And I can tell the way you're wired and what you're doing. You're never going to do that. So he told me to drop out of college. And so after dropping out of high school, I got my chance to do dropout number two and just went back on the road full time again. <laughs> yeah, two-time dropout, two-time dropout, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so you're going on the road. Can you explain what that means like in terms of a daily or weekly, monthly schedule, however you can best put it into a way that we can all understand what you were doing at that time? Yeah, I was doing about 50 to 100 live events a year. And so what that meant was wow. at that time, jumping into an SUV that pulled a trailer, like a little cargo trailer. Um, and so my grandfather and then my grandmother would come along pretty often because she was, she had always worked from home. And then my little sister dropped out of public school as well. She was my, you know, like magician's assistant. And so the four of us would just drive around the country in this SUV performing magic shows about 50 to hundred times a year. Pretty crazy. So this is where you eventually were able to get to the point where you built a, a million dollar business. Like the, the money that you had brought in up to that point before you're 21 years old was seven figures. And I'm sure at that point, having like having been been self-made really essentially at that point, obviously you had the help of of several people along the way. But uh, mm-hmm. you know what I mean by that that you know no formal education and things like that. I'm sure that that had to feed into your ego, which is probably what led to step two in that process, which was lose all of it and uh, cause you to do like a complete reassessment no of where doubt. you were headed in life, right? Yeah, no doubt. You know, I remember I have this vague memory at like. 15 years old of my parents sitting me down and trying to explain to me how much money I'd made that year. And I remember it was six figures and them explaining that that was more money than they had ever made in two years combined between the two of them. Wow. Um, And, you know, I I had a hard time wrapping my mind around it because we didn't come from money. We didn't have a lot of money. And, but my parents went out of their way constantly to make sure my sister and I had a shot at, you know, pursuing whatever it is that we were passionate about pursuing. Yeah. uh, Even if it cost them everything. And so, 
they were super supportive, but I remember that season just thinking like, is this real? This is crazy. You know, and at, at a, as a teenager, it's not like I went around and blew all that cash right away. I reinvested a lot of it back into the business to grow. I know that because I, I also have memories of arguments with my parents of them going, Hey, we're going to hire this performance coach to come in and make you better at what you do. And I'm like, performance coach. Like I'd rather go buy some new clothes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My 16th birthday is coming up. Like I want to go buy a new car. Let's go. Car shop. Yeah. Right. Uh, going like, no, you need to invest, you know, this, this company or this organization booked you to come back for a second show. You need new material. So you need to invest in creating and building new material. So when you go back, you're not doing the same stuff. And even though at the time they weren't entrepreneurs, they were certainly entrepreneurial in their approach to sort of guiding me to invest those resources in the right place. But it didn't take more than a couple of years later. By the time I was 18, I moved out and uh, kind of went and did my own thing. At that point, there was no one to tell me or protect me from wasting all that money on <laughs> unwise investments. So yeah. 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 I liked how you changed the word from uh, tell to protect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Found out pretty quickly that that's exactly what it, what it was. It wasn't no a, in an effort to control you or siphon money away for them. It was in an effort to make sure that, you know, when you... When, when you're doing well, that you keep your foot on the gas and that you yeah. patch up any holes in the bottom of the bucket, so to speak. But uh, sometimes you just got to get out and learn those lessons the hard way. So uh, you definitely, yeah. you definitely did that. I, I, I can, I can say that for sure. That that you definitely learned those experience, learned from those experiences, and turned that around into, and it really turned it into a whole brand new part of the business. Right? Like you didn't just say, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to, you know, be better at managing my money. You turn it into a whole different kind of career path in conjunction with the performance stuff that you were already doing. Right. So can you kind of talk us through what that pivot looked like for you? Yeah, sure. Now I understand looking back what I've always done as sort of taken my pain and try to turn it into purpose. So you go through this experiences and these messes that you make and you're like, okay, I went through this mess. My ability now in hindsight to look back on it and even see it as a mess means that I'm able to identify the mistakes that I made, even if I don't know, even if I don't have the wisdom and the answers to course correct immediately. And I think that experience is incredibly valuable. And so I feel like that's what I've always turned into a message of some sort to share with others, which is why I often say that your greatest mess can become your greatest message or that your greatest pain can become your greatest purpose. And my ability to connect those dots actually happened through an experience I had. Uh, I was in Michigan at a school. I was performing a school assembly. That's a fancy word for saying I was at a school doing a magic show. <laughs> the, reason, the reason I was there was to promote another show that I was doing later that night. And as is often the case, you know, if we were in town early enough, we would go hit up a couple local schools. Anything from like going to the cafeteria during lunchtime to do magic for students to try to sell tickets. Or, you know, sometimes the school would organize an actual assembly program where they would bring all the students into a theater or the gym and you could do a full presentation. And I remember this principal coming in saying, hey, you're the magician. You know how to trick people. Why don't you go out there and instead of just entertaining those kids and putting on a show, why don't you, you know, teach them how they're getting tricked and making the choices they're making? And at the time, I remember thinking like, dude, I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't think I am what you're asking. I'm just here to sell some tickets. Yeah, right. Um, and he's like, he just went out and introduced me. And I remember doing a show. I don't remember much about what I did. I remember finishing with a straight jacket escape. Allah Houdini brought a couple of football players down on the gym floor, had them put me in a straight jacket. I got out. And I remember getting out of the straight jacket, looking over at the principal, him kind of giving me this thumbs up. 
and realizing like, I haven't really said much. There hasn't been much substance to this yet. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was the first time that I really opened up and was kind of raw and vulnerable with an audience that I was performing for where I sort of stopped with the show and got real. Mm-hmm. And I remember holding up the straight jacket thinking, hey, you know, I don't know what your straight jacket is. I know we all have one. I've had a lot of straight jackets in my lifetime, things that have trapped me, entangled me, kept me from living up to my fullest potential that I've had to fight my way out of. And I talked about being bullied as a kid. I talked about being abused as a kid by a, a family friend. I talked about, you know, all the addictions that I struggled with as a teenager and just kind of passed on a little bit of hope to them going, you know, whatever you're struggling with, I want you to know there's always hope. Hang in there, keep going. And I don't know if you've ever given a talk or more specifically, if you've ever given a bad talk, you kind of, <laughs> the inner inner critic sort of starts waging war and you start beating yourself up. You're like, what was I thinking? That was awful. Right. Mm-hmm. And as I'm beating myself up, all the kids start leaving. And this little, this girl, I don't know, maybe she's a freshman, sophomore. She's bawling. She's sitting in the bleacher. She's bawling. She starts walking towards me, tears streaming down her face. She walks up to me and she's like, Hey, I've got something for you. Can I give it to you? And I was like, uh, sure. What is it? She asked me to hold out my hands. She reaches into her pocket pulls out her hand and drops her razor blade into my hand and said, that is my straight jacket. And I don't want it anymore. And you're the first person to ever make me feel like maybe there's more for me. And then someone comes around the corner and was like, hey guys, back to class. She turns and walked away. I never even got that girl's name. But as she walked away, I saw the scars on her wrists and her arms. And I became obsessed, obsessed with trying to figure out why would someone do that to themselves? I'd never come in contact with that type of behavior intimately like that. Um, And so that sort of sent me, you know, down a couple of rabbit holes. The first of which is I became obsessed with that feeling that I got. Like all of a sudden I wasn't there just to put on a show or entertain people. They weren't talking about the tricks somehow, some way, unknowingly about what I was doing. I had this impact on someone's story and that was incredibly meaningful and brought a lot of purpose. And I sort of quickly became addicted. I was like, whatever that is, I want that because you know, this was following a few years after wasting a million dollars and having nothing but a pile of debt to show for it and was trying to make sense of the world. And so I was desperately looking for meaning and all of a sudden I'd found a little bit of it. But more importantly, I wanted to understand what was going on in her brain. Like what what was the psychology or the neuroscience behind that? And the other rabbit hole of research I went down on was basically revealed the power that storytellers have uh, and that all behavior uh, all choices, all worldviews, all of our thinking as human beings is driven by narrative. That narrative is the operating system of, of our brains. And the narrative that we adopt as true, regardless of whether it actually is true or not, uh, determines all the stories that we tell ourselves. And those stories determine our choices and our thinking and how we see ourselves in the mirror. And so someone to try to sell her some jeans or some makeup or a car, you know, made her realize that she worked, convinced her that she wasn't enough without those things. They determined what cool was in her community. And so she got bullied, didn't have a good, strong foundation at home. And so it led her to make some negative choices and not take good care of herself. So I thought, man, if storytellers are that powerful, I want to learn how to tell stories. But I also think maybe someone ought to be gathering storytellers together to have a conversation about that collective power Mm. and to remind them that with that power comes great responsibility. So I walked away from that experience, you know, not immediately, but within a a couple of short years realizing I was not a magician or an illusionist, even though that's what people called me, that I was a storyteller. And that just happens to know how to do magic tricks really well. 
And then I also started gathering together my peers who understood that they were storytellers through story conference to have conversations about how we could collectively shape the future of our world. Um, And now that's happening. And so all of my work is kind of at the intersection between storytelling and that wonder, the wonder that has to be reawakened in order to open us up to the possibility of a new story. Man, that was like my mid-20s. I would say that transition or big aha moment, all those epiphanies happened in the second half of my 20s. And by 30, I was kind of off on a whole new mission to change the world. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. When you say that you started doing a bunch of research, can you kind of shed some light on what that might look like? Yeah, sure. I mean, at the time, all I really cared about was how magic tricks work. That's what all magicians care about. And honestly, it's what all of our audiences care about. Magic is, as an art form, the performing art of illusion is usually presented through this lens of, I I can do these really cool things that appear to be very magical, and you probably don't know how they work. And then audiences come watch that display of illusions, and they lean in and try to figure out how it all works. And so that obsession with how was what was driving my career as an illusionist. And in that moment, I became very intrigued less with how magic tricks work and why magic tricks work. So it was really about me going, okay, when I was a kid, all my mentors or training taught me, if I do this little secret move, holding a coin in my hand, you know, called the French drop, you know, everyone will actually think it's in my other hand. And so when you're taught the French drop, you're just taught, hey, do this moment of sleight of hand. And then look at your other hand and everyone will believe that it's there. And then you can open your hand and show that the coin has quote unquote vanished. And I started wondering, yeah, but why? If she was tricked into believing lies, and if I was tricked into believing a bunch of stuff that wasn't true, that led me to make some poor choices and make a million dollars and then lose it, 
oh, what are these principles that make these magic tricks possible? And I started studying that and that subject of deception revealed a lot. <laughs> it showed that these principles of deception are universal. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, the same way that I make something look like it's levitating on stage or make something disappear in my hands are the same principles of psychology and persuasion that politicians use to write speeches, that marketers and advertisers use to write advertisements and create marketing campaigns. The only difference between what we would call a con man or a really good leader is the motivation behind how they're using the exact same principles. And so if we use them negatively for our own gain, we're like, oh, that guy's deceiving people. If we use them to help people and lead them into a positive vision of the future, we're like, that guy's a really great leader, but they're both using the same principles. And so my ability to understand those principles was that's really where the the research led. How do we tell the difference between those two guys, the guy that is the con man, the guy that um, <laughs> is a is a good leader? Well, I mean, it helps to be an expert in deception. And I've been doing this for 30 <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, right, now. right. Uh, and even <laughs> while a lot of people would consider me an expert in the art of deception, even I still fall for the tricks every now and then, which means that you know, it can be somewhat futile, uh, hopeless, I could say to, you know, man, how do I just learn about deception so that I never get duped myself? And so there's a better way. I think the better approach is to actually not study deception, but to study truth and mm -hmm. what's real. Um, you know, bank tellers, when they're trained to how to spot fake currency. So if you're a bank teller and you're like, man, how do I make sure that we don't take any counterfeit bills on deposit into this bank. What's fascinating is that they're actually not trained on how to spot counterfeit. They're trained on what real currency looks and feels like. And so if they are armed with an understanding and knowledge and experience of what the real thing is supposed to be, when they come into a contact with a counterfeit, this little red flag pops up and it's like, hey, I may not know the process of how this counterfeit bill was made, but I know it doesn't align with what's real. And I think that's probably a better approach is for all of us as human beings and as leaders and as entrepreneurs to just to get really real about what we believe to be true, what our values are, and then to make sure that those don't get compromised. Otherwise, we'll get duped and we'll fall for a counterfeit version of the plan, a counterfeit version of the life that we're actually supposed to live out as leaders. Yeah. And, there, and there's so many deep truths in there that uh, we just kind of glossed over. But I, I do want to get to the book that you that you just had recently come out here, Harris. And then also you talk a lot about transformation theory. And uh, so if we can kind of just talk a little bit about, can you just explain, you know, what is transformation sure. theory and then what brought up the idea of, of finally putting all this stuff into a book that, uh, that you just had come out recently, The Wonder Switch? Yeah. I mean, The Wonder Switch is built around that idea of transformation. Uh, my theory and belief is that transformation is rooted in story, you know, again, because we are storytelling beings. That's just what we are as human beings. You know, I've got a phone in my pocket right now that runs off of an operating system called iOS. My parents have a computer that runs off of an operating system called Windows. My brain, your brain runs off of an operating system called narrative. So as these storytelling beings and creatures, we walk around all day long telling ourselves stories to make sense of the world. And we do that so often and so much that even when we go to bed at night and sleep, our brain stays up all night long telling ourselves more stories. And so stories aren't just books or films. You can walk into a room and the way a room makes you feel or the way that you walk into a museum and stand in front of a painting, you, in order to process information and find meaning and relevancy and data in the world around you, 
you have to turn it into a story that you then tell yourself. So these narratives that we adopt as true drive all human behavior, which means that all change and transformation, whether it's a small change that you want to make in your own life, whether you want to completely transform your life, or if you're a leader who wants to lead a group of people into a new season or some sort of positive change, that change is equal to you moving them from an old narrative to a new one, to invite them to step out of the story that they're in and into a new story. Well, the reason the book is called The Wonder Switch is because what the neuroscience is now showing, now that scientists are getting around to studying things like positive awe states and things like wonder, is that when we're in a state of wonder, it creates this openness. It opens us up to the possibility. I define wonder in the book as what gives us permission to believe in a story that we have yet to see. Because most of us as human beings live as if seeing is believing. Think about that girl I talked about earlier. I dropped a razor blade into my hand. She lived as if seeing is believing, right? She was seeing a reflection of herself in the mirror. And that reflection wasn't thin enough or perfect enough or beautiful enough. Well, seeing is not always believing. It doesn't take more than a few magic tricks to show us that. What the science supports is that believing is actually seeing. Not in the woo-woo, new age, manifestation kind of way. But the lies that she had been tricked into believing about herself mm. were informing and changing the perception that she saw. Because what we believe has the power to change what we see. And so when the wonder switch is turned on, it helps us move from thinking, oh, I'll believe in that when I see it, which is kind of at the heart of cynicism, to understanding that, wow, if what I believe has the power to change what I see, then that means I can lead with understanding that believing is actually seeing. So if you want to move from an old story to a new story, you have to flip on the wonder switch because it will give you permission to believe in that story long before you're able to see it come to life. So it's the shift in identity first, right? Correct. That's what the premise is. Can you define wonder one more time, please? Yeah, wonder is what gives us permission to believe in what we have yet to see. So wonder, you know, the reason why it needs to give us permission to believe is because everything flows out of our belief systems. Most people are focused on action, a specific result they want. Like, I want to form this new habit. I want to lose weight. I want to yeah. increase my income. But yet we obsess over these actions, but actions come out of attitude. It's all about our mindset, which is why so many leaders and entrepreneurs are talking about mindset right now. It's like we're finally getting around to understanding like, oh, I can tell my kids over and over and over to take this certain action, like clean up your room. But until we address the attitude or the mindset they have, they don't understand why they're supposed to clean up the room or why that's valuable. Mm. And so we need to shift our focus from merely uh, addressing action to addressing attitude and mindset. Another way of thinking about our mindset is belief. So beliefs determine behavior. We can't change our beliefs without wonder because we won't have permission to believe. We'll stay stuck in complacency and think, I'll believe in it when I see it. Mm. But if believing is seeing, you'll never see it if you don't believe in it first. Yeah. I mean, oh man, I, I wish, wish we had a bunch more time, bro. I, this is, <laughs> yeah, I, I love this conversation so much. Um, but That's probably I, why it took me, uh, I think it took six hours to record the audio book. So if, <laughs> if the audible version is six hours long, there's no way we can cover all this. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. I do want to ask you a couple of quick questions about uh, relationships and, and, uh, sure. and networking and things just because that's, that's what a lot of our listeners come here for. Maybe we can do a, a round two of this sometime and, and dive a little bit deeper into some of those identity things. But yeah, I, I do want to talk a little bit about this before we move into the last segment. The question I ask everybody, Harris, that's come on the show to kind of move this conversation in this direction is this, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? Which of those two is more important and why? 
Yeah, it's uh, to me, it's very obviously found in who you know. And the reason why is because information in the information age seems to be pretty easily accessible. Mm, abundant. You know, yeah. We, yeah, we live in an abundance of certainty. Sometimes that's an illusion, but we carry around these devices in our pockets. And even when you come in contact with something mysterious, like a magic trick, and you go, well, wonder how that works. Most people are tempted to reach into their pocket and Google the secret, you know, like, I may take, I make a table levitate and you're like, oh, I'm going to Google that and watch a 30 second YouTube video. I'm just going to search. How does the magician make a table levitate? And so I think, you know, that has been democratized. And so if we have access to the information, then what we know feels somewhat infinite. And if we all have access to that, what feels a little bit more scarce is the ability to build relationships, mm. to lead with empathy and uh, sort of build up that relational equity. Can you, like looking back at, at your career now, can you pinpoint maybe different relationships that when you originally, you know, initiated the relationship, you might not have thought anything of it, but then ended up being something that led to, you know, an opportunity or just some fulfillment or happiness or, or something special? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, everything that I'm doing today is a result of my relationships that I've invested in uh, and just this mindset of seeking to serve first. You know, story conference itself, you know, we, we just finished up our virtual conference. We usually have about 1,200 attendees in person. And that's an event that when it's done physically uh, and there's a limited number of seats, you know, sells out each year. Well, it didn't start that way. It sells out because people talk about it and the relationships of the people who come speak at it. I remember one time Don Hahn, the producer of The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, kind of a legendary Disney producer, uh, called me up one day. I was like, hey, my name's Don Hahn. I've made some movies. And I'm like, yeah, man, you've made the biggest movies. <laughs> yeah, you've made it, some but, movies. Yeah, that's pretty uh, modest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's so humble about it, you know, but, you know, it's it's just a simple example of like, well, how did you hear about what we we're doing? Because he's like, hey, I keep hearing about this thing you're doing in Nashville. It's like, how? Well, he heard from other people who had attended or spoken at it who become friends of mine. And once you become friends with Don, it's like, hey, you know, we the next year the conference was all about a trip down the rabbit hole and exploration of creating Wonderland. And I'm like, who wrote Alice in Wonderland for Tim Burton? A lot of people think that's a Tim Burton film. Um, it's not. It was the screenplay was written by Linda Wolverton, and then Disney bought it and hired Tim Burton to come direct her script. Uh, it's like, oh, well, it's Linda Wolverton also wrote Beauty and the Beast. Well. I happen to know the guy that produced Beauty and the Beast. I wonder if he would connect us. And so next thing you know, I'm at Linda's house, hanging out with her, having her on the podcast, having dinner in LA when I go visit. And so there's this very natural, I don't, to me, it doesn't feel like networking yeah. um, because I'm not out doing it for the sake of trying to gain something. Uh, it's like, I'm trying to build this selfless community to shape the future of our world and people naturally want to bring in their friends to be a part of that. I think that's the whole point, man. And then that's kind of the message that we try to share on the show is that, you know, networking is pretty typically a bad word for most people. And it's because they go about it the completely opposite way that you should go about it. And the way that you just described is the way that we try to teach a lot, which is lead with value and lead with service. And, uh, and, then, and then just put yourself in a position to be able to continue to compound the relationships that you have. And, and the only real no way doubt. to do that is to, is to be a person of value and, and be a person of service like you just described. Yeah. Can I say one more thing on that too? Please. I want to be respectful of time. But you know, I've, I've noticed too, like my, my work right now has more to do with me fielding incoming opportunities than going out and trying to find something. And I think the reason why is because of my dedication to investing in relationships over the last five years. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like 
I never set out to be a film producer, but we just raised another few million dollars to develop another script with a writer who used to be the creative director at Marvel or a creative director at Marvel. And that, that didn't happen because I was like, oh man, I'd love to produce a movie someday. How do I do that? And I go out trying to find people and like knock on doors and network my way into it. It's that I tried to selflessly serve and build friendships by way of the story community. And then you're at someone's house, you're at a friend's house in LA, you're sitting around the pool, just chit-chatting. A friend comes over and you're, you know, you're spitballing ideas. Oh, it'd be funny if someone made a movie about, and the next thing you know, these things just sort of organically happen. And so I think if someone's out there trying to network their way into success instead of serve their way into success, my hope is that eventually they come to the realization there's a better way. Reminds me of that famous Zig Ziglar quote. So I'm sure you've heard that you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Mm. Uh, that's kind of become one of my mantras. And I think all the work that I'm doing right now, very little of which I saw coming a few years ago as a result of living my life in that way. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I can't agree with you more. I don't know how many times on the show we've we've uh, mentioned that Zig Ziglar quote, um, but it, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just one of those just truths that I think gets ignored a lot of times when people are going to the, you know, local networking mixer and it's somehow, it's somehow, they, they somehow just confuse the message into all, being all about them and they have to get something out of it or else it's a waste of time and it has to be right now and it can't be in five years from now and um, and I think that's just why a lot of people are end up end up just stuck spinning their wheels and doing the same thing over and over again for for ten years with the same results and end up being frustrated and saying networking doesn't work and relationships don't work and then they get lonely and crabby and it's just like well if you just would have come in with the mentality of adding value yeah. first and serving first you know that that's the big point is that it's going to compound just like just like your money in an investment account compounds in in the market and the longer the longer you sit there and uh and let it work the more aggressively it grows the, the same way the same thing will happen to your relationships and, and will end up being with exactly what you just said harris with like at this point you have an abundance of opportunity now you know like you you but you've put yourself in a position to have that abundance of opportunity because of the way that you've treated people over the last few years and the way that the people that do know you know how you treat people and continue to treat people, which is only going to bring in um, more opportunity and more abundance of relationships. So, man, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, definitely should uh, try to get get you back on here at some point for a part two, maybe in person after all the COVID stuff dies down a little bit more. But for now, let's go ahead and move on into the last segment, something that's called the random round. Just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think that would be fun to attempt? Oh man, I'm torn between two answers. I'm obsessed with neuroscience. And so I've always wanted to go be like a researcher, neuroscientist kind of thing. Or uh, I don't know if this is stereotypical, but uh, there's so many stories from uh, Houdini's secret lives that he lived of him working with the CIA as a spy. And I've always thought that my skill set uh, as a magician would transfer really well to working for the CIA. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. If somebody's listening and make that happen, that'd be awesome. <laughs> if, you, if you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Oh man, I feel like I'm in all the stereotypical answers today. I mean, I think Jesus, he feels like such a historical figure that everyone disagrees about like, you know, who he was or what he did. It's like, I would love to sit down and just get the real take, the real story. And I think it'd be a fascinating figure to gain wisdom from, regardless of anyone's religious view of who he was. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Um, I'm a book 
and audiobook at the same time kind of guy. So I can transfer back and forth. Uh, I love being able to read and then jump in the car and pick up where I left off. And also I've not listened to as many podcasts in the pandemic. Um, but back when I was touring full time and, you know, I think we'll get back to that, but 50 events a year, leave you on lots of planes and car rides and used <laughs> yeah. to do tons of podcasts. What would be a podcast that you'd recommend everybody, you know, obviously besides the Build Your Network podcast? <laughs> Lately, I kind of go on these podcast kicks where I tend to binge and then leave that subject matter and go listen to something else. And then I'll, it's not that I leave those podcasts, it's just I circle back around to them and do catch up um, and, as opposed to listening to them in real time as episodes are released. And right now I'm on a big uh, binge of On Being with Krista Tippett, one of my favorite podcasts. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Oh, one of my favorite subjects. Daily rituals have changed my life. My morning ritual is two and a half hours long, which sounds crazy to a lot of people when I say that. Uh, that doesn't include a 40-minute chunk of taking my kids to school, but I typically wake up, do a workout, either a short, kind of like just full body workout with no weights or some free weights, or I do a Peloton ride. And then I do a protein breakfast, usually magic spoon cereal, which I know mm. sounds crazy, or a smoothie. And then uh, from there, it's a combination of showering, getting ready for the day, taking my kids to school. And then there's a little part of that ritual back-to-back -back where that includes reading, journaling, uh, a meditation, and then filling out my daily pages in my planner. What is your go-to pump-up song? I don't know that I really have a pump up song, but there's a track on the interstellar playlist where if I need to boost a mood or get excited about something, um, man, that one gets me going. What is something that you are just not very good at? <laughs> Some, <laughs> I thought this was rapid fire. This just too long of a list, list bro. <laughs> Let's get back to me later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so many things. Uh, first thing that popped in my mind was preparation. I know that sounds weird, but I, I can find out that I have something very important coming up six months in advance. Uh, and I'm pretty notorious for not preparing when most people would prepare for it. I feel mm. like I do my best work when that is quickly approaching. Yeah, I hear that one, man. It's, a, it's an unfortunate uh, kind of a curse for sure. So I can empathize with you on that one. What, as we get everything wrapped up here, Harris, is one place online where listeners can go to connect with you the most? I am most active on Instagram and email. Uh, email sounds so old school these days to a lot of young people, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, the easiest thing to do is just go to Harris, the third.com just Harris, I, I, I.com like the Roman numeral three of a weird name, but I'm the third guy in my family with the same name, three generations now. And Harris, the third.com has a bunch of free resources. You can learn more about the book, take some free trainings. Uh, and I'm also just Harris, the third on Instagram. And I respond to all my DMS personally and directly. Guys, if you hear people like this say that you can reach out to them and that they respond to DMs and things like that, and you are not taking advantage of those things, then um, uh, maybe ask yourself why you're listening to the show in the to, in, in, in the first place. Because uh, this is this is what we're all about here: is reaching up to uh, connect with folks uh, who can sharpen you, make you a better version of yourself. Um, and Harris uh, has been just uh, this has been such a great conversation. And so, if you're listening to this right now, definitely go check him out on Instagram. Uh, you know, every single time we recommend a book here on the show, guys, go pick it up right now before you forget about it. The Wonder Switch is one of those books that will be a transformative realization for you. So please go pick up a copy of, of The Wonder Switch right now before you forget about it. Harris, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. This was a fantastic conversation. Thanks for having me, Travis. Love the concept of this podcast. It's great. Keep on keeping on. 
That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.